The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. This morning, I invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, to begin our thoughts this morning. And we've been trying to consider together the uh, topic of fear and the different aspects in which the spirit of fear uh, that is manifest and prevalent in this world, ways in which particularly it manifests itself that we struggle with here in this, this life, I'll remind you. Uh, from 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, that God has not given us the spirit of fear. He has given us the spirit of, of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I think we'll, we'll see here this morning as we talk about the fear of death, the fear of death, that this fear of death doesn't come from the Lord. This fear of death is something that Satan uses to try to put God's people in bondage. And... Uh, particularly this manifestation of the spirit of fear of this world uh, is directly tied and connected with uh, the bondage from Satan here in this verse. And, uh, and I would dare say, you know, all of these types of fears certainly afflict uh, not just God's people. They, they, affect, they affect us uh, because we have a warfare that other people don't have, that those that have not been born again by the Spirit of God, they don't, they don't have the internal conflict and warfare between the Spirit of God and the, the natural flesh that we have. But I think all of these types or manifestations of the Spirit of Fear that we've been trying to consider, they are not isolated or only afflict the children of God. They afflict everyone in this world because they are fears of this world, right? They're not fear, it's not the fear of God. The children of God have the fear of God. But these are fears that everyone in this world struggles with, even those that are not born again, because these are the fears of the world. We talked about the fear of the unknown. I mean, there's plenty of people who not been born again by the Spirit of God, who are just as much worry warts as, as good Christians or old Baptists are, right? Um, certainly, everyone is uh, impacted by the fear of being overwhelmed and stressed that we've talked about. Everyone is impacted by the fear of man and uh, the opinions of others and the pressures that go along with the fear of man. <clears throat> but I think especially this manifestation of the spirit of fear, the culmination, I believe, that the, the terror that the natural man has that does not have a hope in Jesus Christ, that does not believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, their greatest fear is the fear of death. And the reason for that is because they have no hope after death. Okay? We do have a hope after death because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we can conquer this spirit of, uh, the spirit of fear that manifested through the fear of death. But I'll tell you, in this world, I would dare say, they, these other people afflict, uh, they afflict God's children and they afflict people in this world. All of these that we've talked about. Fear of the unknown, fear of being overwhelmed, fear of man. But the fear of death, the fear of death is probably the most crippling, consuming fear for the natural man. For the natural man. And if you don't have a hope in Jesus Christ and you don't have a hope of the resurrection, that's some, and the reason why we can approach the fear of death, and we've been trying to hopefully give you some tools in your arsenal to, to conquer fear and to conquer the fear of death. The reason, the reason why we can conquer the fear of death is because Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. And because of that, we have a hope that eternal life 
is going to be so much better than the little bit of life we have here in this world. We, we believe and we have a hope that that is real life. <laughs> That's the real life that we hope to partake of. But if you don't have that hope, and if you think that after you die, the only thing you're going to turn into, and now your body's going to eventually turn into dust, but if you think there's nothing after this world, then how horrible is it for you to think that after, if I die, that's it. That's it. Which, by the way, that perspective, that lack of a belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that lack of a belief in a, an afterlife, an eternal destination, whether it be heaven or hell, a lack of a belief in that, if you think this life is all there is, that's why people want to indulge in all of the lust and satisfaction and desire right now because this is all I have, right? And why do I want to um, make a sacrifice? You know, we're called as God's people to uh, take up a cross, take up Christ's cross and serve him. Well, a cross is a picture of suffering. It's a picture of death. Well, why would I want to do that if this world is all... Uh, why would I want to purposefully inflict on myself sacrifice and suffering if this world is all that I have? Why wouldn't I just enjoy myself now? Well, the reason why we, we sacrifice for the cause of Christ now is, first of all, because we've been saved to eternal life, but also for those that have the Spirit of God, for those that have had the fear of God implanted inside of them. When we make that sacrifice, we find that the true joy, the true abundant life is in the kingdom of God and in the church, and we can experience a taste of heaven. We can experience an earnest of our inheritance here on earth. We can get a taste of that here in the church and in the kingdom of God. So in a, in the, in a worldly sense, we might make a sacrifice, but let me tell you, you're not sacrificing anything at all. <laughs> you are getting the, the riches and the joy and the peace of the abundant life. But listen, if you don't have that hope, if you don't have the Spirit of God that gives you clarity and conviction to believe in Jesus Christ and believe in His resurrection, and you believe this world is all there is, then it's terrifying for you, or we want to talk about as well, you know, some of us may be, may be comfortable or resigned to the fact that uh, I'm not overly concerned about me dying, but we, we all have a fear of losing our loved ones, though, you know, maybe I'm comfortable with the idea that uh, if I pass away, whether it be in a in a tragic way or uh, if I have to deal with an illness or whatever the Lord's will, whatever the path is for me before I pass away, you know, maybe I'm comfortable accepting that fear. But boy, it's terrifying to think about a life having to deal with the loss and the grief of the people we love the most, right? So sometimes the fear of losing the, our loved ones is maybe a greater fear of death than even our own fear of death. But even then, we can view that concern and fear over the death of our loved ones through the lens of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? And the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. But if you don't have that, okay, if you don't have that and you feel like this world is all there is, number one, it's terrifying to think that after I die, I'm just going to cease to exist, right? And many people believe that. Many people believe that. And then, again, projecting out, not just maybe I can wrap my head around that for myself, but if I have a loved one that's on the verge of dying or something like that, and I believe that it's all, that's it for them. Well, there's no hope in that, is there? There's no hope. Well, we're able to approach the death of loved ones, not as those, that, we don't sorrow as those that have no hope, right? We're able to approach the death of our loved ones with the hope in Jesus Christ, the hope of the resurrection, Okay. So I say all that to say that I would dare say of the, of the fears of this world, that's what all these are, the spirit of fear. They're not, they're not from above. 
These fears are from beneath. They are from this world. They're not from the Lord. And it doesn't matter if you are a born-again child of God or if you're a unregenerate, you know, I, I, would, I would dare say some of the most wicked people in this world um, that didn't have any conviction of the Spirit of God, they were afraid of dying. <laughs> they were sure enough afraid of dying. Everyone deals with this. But as God's children, we have the tools in our arsenal through hope in Jesus Christ to conquer that, to conquer that, and not to let it cripple us, not to let it put us in bondage. Okay, Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Subject to bondage. So what is the effect? What's the effect of the unchecked, uncontrolled spirit of fear in our life, particularly this fear? Well, it's torment. It's torment. We know that from 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8, 4 and 18. That fear has torment, but fear has bondage. Fear has bondage, and especially the fear of death has bondage. And you know what? Satan knows that. And he, he was the original, don't, don't forget, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Satan was the original instigator of death. You know, it's just amazing to me how many of God's children, they don't take God's word very seriously. But you want to know who believes God's word? Satan believes God's word. Satan believes God's word. And you know what? Adam and Eve, they're in the garden Adam was deceived, but Adam knew what he, I mean, Eve was deceived, but Adam knew what he was doing. Satan wholeheartedly believed the command of God that in the day you eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. He knew what the end result was going to be because he knew God took his word seriously because he kicked him out of heaven when he rebelled, right? He knew, Satan knew that God takes his word very seriously. Adam and Eve, they didn't take it very seriously. But Satan knew that if I can get them to disobey God, I know what the result's going to be because I know how seriously God takes his word. So he enticed them with the intention. Why did he do all that? Why did he do all that? Because he desired to introduce death into this world. Satan deals in lies, in theft, in robbery, and he deals in death. He deals in death. And thankfully, though, he's not sovereign over death. He's not sovereign over death. Jesus Christ put death to, he put death to death by his death and his resurrection. Uh, describes Jesus Christ in uh, this, this glorious picture of him in Revelation chapter 1. And it, it describes him there as having the keys of, of death and hell. He's got control over it. He has the, the keys to open and close that door and praise God, <clears throat> he, he opened the door to put, put death out of business by his death and uh, death on the cross and his resurrection. Now, there's a sense in which, as it describes here, that Satan has power over death. Now, he's not sovereign. He's not sovereign. He only has as much latitude as the Lord sees fit to give him. You know, think about Job. If it was up to Satan, he, God did remove his hedge enough to where he took the life. I mean, he created death for Job's 10 kids. But the Lord said, you're not gonna take Job's life, okay? You have no a power to take Job's life. Why? Because God's in control of life and death, okay? Now, Sometimes, according to his will, he does remove his providential hedge and give Satan a little bit more latitude. But 
Satan has, in a, in a sense, subject to the will of God, he has a sense to try to inflict death upon God's children. I mean, think about um, the ways in which, in times past, Satan has used principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places to persecute God's people, to persecute the church, and even to put believers to death. Who's behind all that? Satan was behind all that because his desire is death. And you know what? He may not be able to take our natural life because he, he is absolutely subject to the sovereignty of God. He has no ability to take our life unless that is according to the Lord's will and his removal of his hedge. But the greatest, arguably the greatest victory that Satan could have in this world is not necessarily taking our natural life. Because for us, that's when it all gets great, right? That's when we finally get to see Jesus face to face. Now, if, if uh, through the persecution of governmental authorities, if he's able to take someone's life, his goal there, um, if in times past, as he's led wicked men to try to put to death believers in Jesus Christ, his goal there is not to injure or to harm. He, it'd be nice for him to inflict physical pain before their death. But listen, he knows that that child of God, when they pass away, that they go to heaven. He knows that. But you want to know what he can do? He can have other people view the suffering that they go through and the fear of them having to go through that might cause me to recant. You see, that's his desire in persecuting. He's not, he, yes, there is physical pain that might be inflicted, that, that will be inflicted in times past on God's children that have been burned to death or that have been tortured. But let me tell you, it was only a light affliction compared to the eternal weight of glory that they had when they saw their Savior. But if I see the type of physical pain and suffering that someone encounters for uh, belief in Jesus Christ, and because of my fear that I might have to go through that, if I'm called on the carpet and I have seen with my own eyes the kind of pain and suffering that would go along with me following that same path, I'm going to have a little voice in the back of my head saying, well, maybe I should just, maybe I should just take the easy route, right? That's Satan's desire in persecution. And I want you to understand that. His desire in persecution is for us to be so afraid of death that we are not serving Christ faithfully and it puts us in bondage. That's his desire in persecution is for us to see the pain and the, the, the natural suffering that people have to go through. And we want to avoid that, as any natural person would, outside of being filled up with the Holy Spirit. We want to avoid that kind of pain. And, and we want to ultimately avoid not just death, but the suffering that goes along with death. So if I'm caught on the carpet to where I have the choice to either maintain my belief in Jesus Christ or to recant and dodge this suffering and persecution, he has now planted a seed that he can exploit because you, in our natural sense, we're all going to be, if I, I mean, if I saw somebody burned to death, I'm going to have that in the back of my mind. If they say, if you don't recant, I'm going to be burned to death. I mean, I, that's just a natural response, Right. And Satan is going to bring that to your mind. Praise God. And we mentioned this in previous messages, but we just want to publicly praise the Lord. As we talked about in the message on the fear of man and the fear of governmental authorities, that God in his providence has given us the, the First Amendment and the Bill of Rights and legal protections of our right to assemble and our right to exercise religion according to our own conscience and in our instance, according to the word of God. So when we talk about people being burned to death, praise God, at least in our immediate circumstance in our country, that is not a relevant concern. Praise God for that. But that is 
the exception in the history of the church, not the norm, okay? So again, Satan's desire in persecution is for us to be so afraid of death, for us to be so afraid of the suffering that goes along with death that maybe we might be willing to compromise, okay? But in a natural sense, Satan knows better than anybody that the straight gate and the narrow way, it leads to life. It leads to the abundant life and the joy and the peace that we have in Jesus Christ that's the closest we can get to the joys of heaven. We can experience it in obedience to God in the straight gate and narrow way. But he also knows that the broad way leads to destruction. And yes, his desire is to persecute God's children and if he could take their natural life, he, he would desire to do that because he deals in death. But what he really desires, what he really desires is to shipwreck God's children's lives to such a degree that they are living in destruction. They are living, instead of the abundant life, they are living in abundant death. And I'll tell you, there are God's children that are living in the abundant death. <laughs> Why? Because Satan has enticed them. Satan has confused them and blinded their minds. That's his desire. That, that gets him so much more glee than taking the life of a child of God that goes immediately to heaven. His, his glee, Satan's glee, is in shipwrecking. the child. Because also, what does that do? Again, he, he's all about trying to destroy the foundations and destroying our confidence in Jesus Christ. Because... When you see somebody suffering for the cause of Christ and, and they lose their natural life of being burned to death in times past, that's going to make people, Satan's going to start planting those seeds as the accuser of the brethren saying, well, does God really love the church? Does he really love, how would he allow this to happen? And you know what? When you see people shipwrecking their life, it, and boy, uh, many circumstances around us at a high level, but also at a personal local level you see people making decisions that is just astounding to you how could how could you do that it 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 just rocks your your confidence doesn't it it rocks your confidence in the in the foundations of god praise god we have the scriptures to go back to but you just you're taken aback sometimes when people choose well, times past have given the appearance of being children of god and now they're living in the abundant death and that concern, that, that, um, us seeing that and having those thoughts, that are, those are seeds that Satan can attack to compromise and diminish our faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? And that will put you in bondage. You know, on Wednesday night, we've been going through the Gospel of John, and we talked about this last Wednesday, the truth will make you free. The truth will make you free. And we tried to give you the imagery <laughs> of uh, the yoke of bondage that's around God's children. And there's a lot of different ways in which that yoke can be on your neck. It can be on your neck through your own sin, uh, through lying, as we talked about. Uh, it could be on your neck through a works salvation. But... But envision somebody, so somebody's running a marathon, half marathon. How successful do you think they're going to be in running their marathon if they've got an ox's yoke around their neck, right? Okay, kind of in that same picture, how successful do you think somebody's going to be in running the race? We're called run our race with patience. How successful do you think somebody's going to be in running or even walking if their hands are tied up and their feet are tied up? and they're trying to run in bondage. If you're tied up, how successful do you think you're gonna be in running your race with patience? Well, the obvious answer is number one, you're not gonna be successful at all, and number two, you're gonna fall flat on your face, right? If your feet are tied up, you can shuffle your feet just a little bit, but when you try to actually run, you're gonna fall. And that's Satan's desire, is to put us in bondage. To put us in bondage, why? Because it diminishes 
our faithfulness in the kingdom of God and it compromises the growth and the advancement of the kingdom of God. Okay? So that's his desire, is to put us in bondage. And, and in what better way could Satan put us in bondage than for us to live in a perpetual paralysis of being afraid of death? Because it is a reality. It's an absolute reality that there's but a step between me and death. Now, praise God, it's not as real and, and as uh, challenging as it was when David wrote that, uh, when King Saul was trying to kill him and he galvanized the whole country to kill him. But, you know, we all could pass away at any given moment. I mean, th- this life is a vapor. Um, don't ever take for granted your prayers. You know, sometimes it, it feels like we don't, uh, emphasize. I hope we pray it anyway, even if we don't publicly express it. But sometimes we don't always pray for safe travels unless somebody's going longer than two hours away or something. Well, let me tell you, there's a lot of people that have lost their life within five miles of their own house, right? So we, we pray for traveling grace and protection. We need to pray for that every day. We need to pray for it on long trips, no doubt, right? But if we're only praying for traveling grace when we're going longer than two hours, uh, we're we're missing the boat. But that's a reality. I mean, we can all pass away in a car wreck. But just because I pass away in a car wreck doesn't mean I get in a car and I'm just like shaking all the time because I'm afraid of somebody hitting me. No, I'm going to drive the speed limit. I'm going to drive on my side of the road. (laughs) I'm going to be vigilant. I'm not going to text. Everybody pay attention. (laughs) I'm not going to text. I'm going to make good decisions, and you know what? I'm going to, if I've prayed up that morning and say, Lord, Lord, please keep me, keep me safe, then I can, I can rest and trust it. I don't have to be shaking as I'm going down the road because somebody may hit me because I'm trusting in Jesus Christ, okay? But if, if we, David is an extreme example, certainly there's a, but a step between me and death, but if we live in this perpetual paralysis that I'm afraid that I'm going to lose my life at any given moment. You will not be profitable in the kingdom of God at all. You know who knows that better than anybody? Satan knows that better than anybody, right? But again, God has given us the power to conquer that. And where does that, uh, where does that power to conquer that fear of death come from? It comes from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, okay? Um, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, the... Uh, resurrection chapter here and this begins with the gospel um and this is what god's children really need to overcome the fear of death right is the gospel that jesus christ finished the work of salvation on the cross and verse uh, verse 3 first corinthians 15 he was hey, i delivered unto you first of all that which i also received how the christ died for our sins according to the scriptures he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures the reason why we have a hope that eternal life is so much better than this life is because Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. And that is the testimony that he is who he said he was, right? He showed up, and there's been plenty of people that have showed up here on this earth and said, I'm God. I'm God manifest in the flesh. There's been plenty of false Christ that have showed up and said that. But you know what he said? I'm going to be crucified, and on the third day I'm going to be resurrected. And when he came up out of the grave, that is evidence that he was, his, his work uh, was accepted by God that we were justified before God because he was resurrected. Not only did that, did that validate publicly that, uh, that, that God had accepted his sacrifice on our behalf, it proved that he is who he said he was, right? That I am God manifested. I am the resurrection and the life. I've got the power to lay it down, and I've got the power to take it back up again, which he did on the third day. So because of that, because Jesus was resurrected, you know, isn't it? oh man, I wish I say this, um, I don't want to have really any insights into the mind of Satan, but I think Satan, he, you know, I think he, he knows the word of God and he knew all these prophecies in the Old Testament, but I think that he thought maybe that he had actually beat Jesus when he led those men to put him to death. 
I feel like for three days, he thought maybe, maybe that I've actually won because I put him to death. But all that went away when he was resurrected the third day, right? And I just, I would love to see the, uh, spiritually, the look on Satan's face, right? Well, how surprising is it that Satan deals in death, right? That, that's Satan's domain. He has the power of death to influence, uh, the, in some sense, the, the loss of natural life and to, and to put us into uh, situations to, of destruction in, in our life of discipleship. But how surprising is it that the way that Jesus put to death what Satan was the most skilled in is death. You want to know the means by which he did it? Death, right? Uh, Satan didn't expect that, I don't think. <laughs> I don't really think Satan expects death is my domain. Well, you know what? He took that death and he replaced it with life because he was, he was resurrected. So Satan felt like that he had power and control over death. Well, you want to know what's, what uh, Jesus used to destroy the power that Satan had over death? It was the same thing he thought he had power over, which was death. You understand that? <laughs> he took death to destroy death. Verse uh, 26 here in 1 Corinthians 15. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Now, it's been just like Satan. Its head has been crushed on the cross, but it still has effects because we're sinners. Okay? But... At the last day, though, that, that enemy is going to be fully destroyed. Okay, uh, let's keep going here. Let's jump in here in verse uh, 54 of 1 Corinthians 15. But when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, when this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass, saying that which is written, death is swallowed up in victory. I, just, I love that imagery, that language. Death is just consumed by the victory of Jesus Christ. And because of that, because of his resurrection, our knowledge of that resurrection and our hope in, in that resurrection, now we stand in a position of victory that we can look at death and almost, uh, the, the language here in verse uh, 55 is, is almost kind of mocking. Now, we, we, we want to respect death, right? We don't want to be frivolous and and make bad decisions to put ourselves in danger. But listen, we are in a position of victory in Jesus Christ to where we can look at death and say, oh, death, where is thy sting? <laughs> now, there may be, and many times there is, sting and pain leading up to death. But boy, there's no sting in death for the child of God. God has taken away that stinger. And, O oh grave, where is thy victory? You don't have any victory. Why? Because the strength of sin is the, uh, the strength of death is sin. And Christ put away sin on the tree of the cross. And the strength of sin is the law, and Jesus fulfilled the law to a jot and to a tittle. So he took away the strength of the law, and he took away of this, he took away the sting of death and the strength of the law. Thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's put, he's put death to death, you see? And because of that, we don't have to be afraid of death. We can live in faith and trust in Jesus Christ that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And even if I lose my natural life, that's when I get to see my precious Savior face to face. Um. Very quickly, I want to highlight these. We really don't have time to turn to any of these, but um, Satan knows very well that the fear of death can put you in bondage. And because of that, the fear of death can lead us to make mistakes, make it, lead us to make bad decisions, and lead us to sin, ultimately. Um, there's many examples. I want to highlight a few of them. Um, back when Abraham... Abram at that time went into, uh, first, I think, maybe it was Egypt. The second one may have been Abimelech um, with the Philistines, maybe. But he did it twice. He did it twice that he went into uh, those lands. And because he had such a beautiful wife, he was terrified that they were going to kill him. And because of that, he lied and said, this is my sister. Well, 
Then he did it twice. And then his son Isaac did the exact same thing. Why did they do that? Why did they lie? Why, Why did they lie and pretend like that they weren't married? Because they were and all, all these things, as we've been trying to describe for you, all of these fears, the manifestations of these fears, are all interconnected, right? They were afraid of the unknown. They were afraid of what might happen. They were afraid of man, and they were afraid that man would kill him, right? And all of those concerns as they're arriving there in Egypt, he says, you know what? It's probably easier for me to just lie, then trust God that there's no way they're going to kill me because I don't have a seed yet and God's promised me a seed, right? That's what faith does. Faith looks at the fear of the unknown. Faith looks at the fear of man. Faith looks at the fear of death and says, you know what? That may be uh, true in a natural, logical sense, but God said that I'm going to have a son. I don't have a son yet, so I don't have to be afraid that they are going to kill me. Now, it is possible that they may beat you up, Right? I mean, it is possible they may hurt you, but they're not going to kill you because God's promises are at play in those specific circumstances. But, but that shows us, I think, what should be the reasoning of faith, right? The reasoning of faith that God's promises, he'll never leave us or forsake us. And when we have those thoughts and we let the, fear of the, uh, the seed of the fear of the unknown grow and grow and grow and it becomes overwhelming and especially if there's fear of man involved and maybe even culminating in the fear of death. What we should be able to say is, you know what? Even if all that happened, I mean, the, uh, the three uh, Hebrew, we always call them the three Hebrew children. They're grown men. The three Hebrew men, okay, they were able to look at all of that and stand up to the king and say, you know what? Throw us in the fire. Go ahead, throw us in the fire. And guess what happened when he threw him in the fire? Jesus Christ showed up with him right there in the fire, right? <laughs> That's what the reasoning of faith does. Now, it'd be very easy for them to look at the fear of man, the fear of Nebuchadnezzar, and the fear of death and say, you know what? You know what? God knows in my heart, I really believe, but I just, I just got to say what I got to say in front of the king to make sure I don't get killed. Look how the Lord honored their willingness to trust the Lord in faith and not let the fear of death, not let the, or not, not death. I mean, again, if we have a hope in Jesus Christ, when, when, my, when my heart finally plays out, I'm going to be with Jesus. But boy, I'd, I would not look forward to the minutes of the flames and the pain. I hope that I was filled up with the Holy Ghost and I would be able to say what they would say. But boy, there'd be a part of me that said, boy, that fire looks hot, <laughs> right? That's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. And, and you know what? There, there's a very real sense in which we're susceptible to compromise because of that fear, right? Not the fear of death, but the fear of the pain before death, okay? But they trusted God in faith. Okay, Peter. Uh, Peter, uh, Matthew 14, Jesus is walking on the water. He goes out. He starts walking on the water. And by the way, there's so much more here. We don't have time to dig into it, but he, uh, he takes his eyes off Jesus. He gets afraid. He gets afraid. He takes his eyes off Jesus. He begins to sink. He says, Lord, save me. And what was Jesus' rebuke? O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? A little bit of doubt, what does it lead to? It leads to fear. Fear diminishes our faith. What happens when our our eyes and our gaze get off of Jesus Christ in faith? We start sinking, right? There's so much there. I'd, I'd love to divert the whole message to that one. But um, do you want to know, you know, and, and we, we always use that as an example, you know, as old Baptists, we try to hopefully reason with people line up on line and precept upon precept that not every time in the Bible where it says saved, it's talking about eternal salvation, right? And that's an obvious one, isn't it? Uh, Peter's not saying, Lord, will you please bore me again while he's drowning, getting close to drowning. What was he wanting to be saved of? He was afraid of drowning. He was afraid of dying in that water. And he's saying, Lord, please save me from death. That's what he's saying there. <clears throat> you want to know the whole reason that he began to sink and he was, in the, he was in a position to even be afraid of death? Again, there's so much here. Mm-hmm. Doubt, fear, that 
gets our eyes distracted to not be fully focused, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Oh, thou of little faith. And what do we do? We start sinking. Now, praise God. God's always there when we say, Lord, save me, right? <laughs> Lord, I'm sinking. Lord, save me. But listen, the reason why all of that happened, you know, if he, I'll put it another way. If he wasn't out on the water, he would look at that wave and say, wow, that's a, you know, if you're on the beach, you could say, wow, that's an impressive wave right there. Look how cool that, that wave is, right? But boy, it's a big difference when that wave's coming at you and he's afraid that's going to kill him, right? And he let, the, he let a little bit of doubt lead to fear, compromise his faith. And where does it all stem from? The fear of the unknown, right? And the fear of death, the fear of death. Um... Before we go to the fear of losing our loved ones, um, you don't have to turn here, but Psalm 23. I hope you all know this. Psalm, Psalm 23. While you're turning there, I also want to mention uh, Romans chapter 8. There are those concluding verses right there. All the things that can't separate us from the love of God. You don't know the first thing that's listing that listed there in those concluding verses? What shall separate us from the love of God? You don't know the very first thing that's listed? Death. You want to know why? Because arguably it's the most prevalent. Which, by the way, isn't that... I want to make the theological point as well. Death cannot separate us from the love of God. And that means the means in which you die cannot separate you from the love of God. Even if you take your own life. That's a sin. What did Jesus come to die for? Ever sin but suicide? No. He came to die for sins. So, yes, that's a sin that you shouldn't have done, but Jesus came to die for that sin just like every lie you told and everything else. So there is nothing in death, whatever form that takes, there is nothing in death that can separate you from the love of God. Don't miss that that's the very first thing listed. And then what's after that? Life. <laughs> There's a lot of things in death. There's a lot of things in life. There's a lot of people that would say, you know what? If you don't, if you don't accept Jesus Christ today and you go out there and you have that car wreck, you know, if you don't have a car wreck, you still got a chance to accept him tomorrow. But if you die tonight and you ain't accepted Jesus, you're going to go to hell. You want to know what puts you to hell? Bad breaks. <laughs> or a drunk driver. Right? What's the reason that you didn't have an opportunity to theoretically be saved tomorrow? Because you went to sleep? Because you got hit by a car, a drunk driver? You're telling me a drunk driver put you in hell? <laughs> no, of course not. There's nothing in death that can separate you from the love of God. And then once you get death conquered, <laughs> once, you, once you realize there's nothing in death that can separate me, there's a lot of things in life that we get a little bit nervous that may be able to separate us from the love of God. But if, hey, if nothing in death can separate me, there's sure enough nothing in life that can separate me from the love of God, right? Doesn't matter what happens in my life. There's nothing that can separate me if I've been chosen in Christ before the world began, right? Psalm 23, jump in here in verse four. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Why? Really, the whole chapter here, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know, that's what should quench the fear of the unknown, right? I don't need to be afraid that I'm going to have this great need in the future and God's going to, like, like we do, accidentally forget to provide for my need. No, he's my shepherd, and it, whatever I need, he's going to absolutely take care of. So what's the main reason that even if I'm in a position where I am walking through the valley of the shadow of death, whether it be a my own maybe medical illness or the medical illness of a loved one, and those are the things that kind of come to the forefront of our mind, but boy, there, there are so many diverse ways that we could be walking in the valley of the shadow of death. We don't need to be afraid of any evil, of any evil. Why? Why? For thou art with me. <laughs> because God's right there with me. And not only is he with me, 
Thy rod and they, thy staff, they comfort me. Think about this from a sheep perspective. Yes, sometimes wolves in sheep's clothing get among the sheep, but if I see that sheep, I don't need to be afraid of the evil of that. Why? Because there is a shepherd that's about to smack that wolf with his rod and his staff. He's going to take care of the sheep. And that's why I don't need to be afraid. <laughs> that's why I don't need to fear any evil. Even if I'm walking in the valley of shadow of death. Why? Because I trust in God. It all boils down to faith. Trust in God. He's going to take care of you. Trust in his rod and his staff that he is with us. Revelation chapter 2. These are churches that are... That are encountering persecution that they are having to strengthen their faith to such a degree that I have to be willing to be burned to death because of the cause of Christ and in Revelation chapter 2 this is Smyrna similar issues in Pergamos but this is Smyrna. God tells him in verse 9, I know thy works. First of all, I know exactly where you're at. I know what's going on, you know. I know exactly the struggles that you're going through. I know exactly the persecution you're having to deal with. And I know how faithful you are in the middle of it. I know thy works and thy tribulation and thy poverty. Oh, but don't remember or, or don't, don't forget, church but thou art rich. <laughs> yes, you may be in financial poverty because of your commitment to the cause of Christ, but don't you ever forget how rich you are in Jesus Christ and in the abundant life. I know exactly where you're at, church at Smyrna. I know thy works, thy tribulation, your poverty, and I also know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and they are not, but they are the synagogue of Satan. Listen, we are in a warfare every single day between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And Satan is trying every tool in his arsenal to put you in bondage and one of the main ways, in torment, and one of the main ways is the fear of death. Okay? Now, he encourages this church. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. You know, he, he's, he's not sugarcoating it. You're going to suffer. I mean, we love the shalls in the Bible, right? Which thou shalt suffer. You're going to have probably financial suffering. You probably may have to deal with physical pain and suffering. But fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison through those principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. And you, be, you will be tried, and you shall have tribulation 10 days. What he's saying there, I believe, is that this tribulation is for a definite period, and it's for a short period. Okay? You know, the Bible talks about a thousand years here and there. Well, that's a really big number. 10 days goes by like a blink, Right? Ten days, yes, it's a definite period, but in the big scheme of things, it's short. Ten days. But be thou faithful unto death. And what are you going to get? And I will give thee a crown of life. <laughs> so he's encouraging the church here that is dealing with real persecution. You be faithful. You be faithful and you will have to suffer. But many people, I mean, it's just inevitable. People are people. They're going to look at that suffering and say, you know what? I'm not willing to buy the field because of the treasure. You know, the people on the stony ground, they receive the word with joy. They have to implement the word in their life. They have to change jobs. They have to forsake people that they used to be friends with. They, they have to sanctify their life and there's pain there's purification and sanctification okay? and when they start going through those difficult times they said they start saying well this is hard this is hard and then what do they do they flake off the stony ground people flake off why 
because they're having to actually sacrifice something. Their fear of having to sacrifice that is enough for them to say, you know what, that sounded good, but I would rather just sit in the comfort of the world instead of sacrificing for the joys of the kingdom. Okay? <clears throat> to conclude, I want to go to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. And again, you know, I hope the Lord keeps me here for a long time. And as long as I'm useful in the kingdom, I hope he lets me keep breathing in and out. But I sure do have a hope in Jesus Christ. And I, I can't wait to see him face to face. But again, as long as I'm useful, I hope the Lord keeps me here. But, but you know, the fear of losing people that are so dear in our life can maybe be even more crippling of a paralysis than me being afraid of losing my natural life. And here we have Jairus. And he comes unto Jesus just in a panic. And he says, this is Mark chapter 5, and in verse 23, and he's a ruler that there's so much here, he's a ruler of the synagogue, but you know what? He didn't care the repercussions. Why? Because somebody he loved was about to die. I'll deal with the blowback from the people in the synagogue later. Somebody I love's about to die. I'm going to a man who, I, who I've heard can heal the heal the sick and raise the dead. And he says, he besought him greatly, my little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her and she shall, she shall be healed and she shall live. That's faith, isn't it? I know if you come, she's going to be healed. And then we go through here and I, I could just, as I've studied this and preached on it in times past, I could just sense J. Iris's frustration because what happens to this, and it's, it's a short interaction of um, this lady with the issue of blood and, and she touches Jesus's hem of the garment. She's immediately healed. But when that happens, I mean, it really only is a few minute interaction, but when that happens, then the messengers come and say, and say, your daughter is dead. And I, you know, in a natural sense, I've always put myself in J. Iris's shoes and I just feel like, in my flesh, I would look at the Lord and say, why did you tarry? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I know this woman had a problem, but my daughter's about to die. And, and if you would have been more efficient and not healed this woman while we're on our way, maybe you could have got there in time to heal my daughter. But notice what, now he, he had faith. He had faith previously when she was sick, right? But now a whole nother level of fear sunk in after he had a report that she had died, right? But notice what Jesus tells him here, verse 36. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken unto him, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. What's he saying there? Have faith in God. Have faith in Jesus Christ. And if I had fear when she was sick, I could only imagine the way in which that flood of fear rushed in in a whole other way when he got a report that she was dead. You know, how am I going to deal? How am I going to get up the next day with my, my daughter being dead? Now, obviously, this is a unique situation with God manifest in the flesh. And in this instance, he goes and he resurrects her. Now, I don't, I don't think Jesus is in the resurrection business nowadays. So we approach this a little bit differently than J. Iris did, right? We don't necessarily say, Jesus, um, sad my, my uh, loved one passed away, but I believe that you're able to resurrect him. Well, we're just not in that time period of the manifestation of those kind of healings today. But the admonition is still the same. Be not afraid only believe. Trust God, right? Go to John chapter 11. Lazarus. Same thing. His loved ones, his sisters are terrified that their, their brother, their beloved brother is about to die. So what do they do? They do the right thing. 
they send they send a word to Jesus. And for some reason, Jesus tarried. What are you doing, Jesus? I know you love Lazarus. I know you do. Your beloved brother, Lazarus, is sick. Why would you tarry? Now again, God's will is God's will. He is sovereign. Sometimes he doesn't give healing in this world. Sometimes he gives final healing and blesses God's children to go to heaven. But you know what? They had faith. They had faith that he was able to resurrect him or able to heal him while he was still sick. But when Jesus shows up four days later, they start blaming Jesus. And they said, why weren't you here? Why weren't you? If, which is true, really. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. They're terrified. They're terrified of the grief and the loss and the void that will be in their life because of their loved one that has now passed away. Now, again, very unique circumstance because Jesus resurrects Lazarus from the dead, right? We don't have any expectation that the Lord will resurrect our loved ones until the last day, until his second coming. He will absolutely resurrect all the bodies at that time. But listen, it can be absolutely terrifying for us to have to reconcile ourselves to the fact and it could be even more challenging if you have more time it can be a blessing in some ways to prepare yourself but if it happens suddenly you don't have any time to prepare you just have to get up and say Lord give me grace sufficient because I can't handle this but the fear of what am I going to do without this person in my life, the fear of losing our loved ones, that's a very valid point. But at the end of the day, whether our loved ones are here or whether they pass away, our trust ultimately is not in those people. We're thankful for them, but our trust is in God, right? Our trust is that God is going to supply my needs, be not afraid. Be not afraid. Only believe. Trust in God. Trust in God. And even if we walk through the valley of shadow of death, we don't have any reason to fear evil. Because God's with us. God's with us right there. And he's protecting us. His rod and his staff is comforting us. And then also, if God has given us grace, we trust every day of our life to give us what we need with grace sufficient. I don't have any reason to doubt that when my time comes to pass away, there's no reason that he wouldn't give me grace in that last day. I'm so thankful for so many testimonies we have of the Lord being so gracious to many of his children and giving what we like to call in the old Baptist church, dying grace. Dying grace. And you know what? If he's given you unmerited favor and grace every other day of your life, why should you doubt that he's going to give you unmerited favor and grace on the last day of your life? Boy, and it, hey, you know, I've always joked around and, uh, and I, I would sign up for it if I had a sign-up sheet uh, to just um, go to sleep one, one night and wake up with the Lord. I mean, that's, that's great, right? I mean... Uh, our hearts were all broken when my father-in-law passed away. Brother David had a great, I mean, he was on vacation. <laughs> had a great time that day. Went to sleep, woke up with Jesus. Hey, sign me up for that. But what I'm afraid of, though, is the pain leading up to the death, though. I'm afraid of the losses and the pain of cancer and the pain of um, all of these physical side. And that, could get, that can get you worried. That can get you worried. Because if we're... If we're hoping in Jesus Christ, I know to be asking for the bodies to be present with the Lord. And when I die, I'm going to be with him. But boy, there's a lot between possibly now and that last breath. He's going to give me dying grace at the end. But boy, there may be some suffering between now and then. But the same God who's going to be with you in, with you in the last breath is going to be with you and all the ones leading up to it as well. We don't have to be in bondage. 
to the fear of death and live in just a constant paralysis, boy, you're not going to be very profitable in your race of discipleship if we let that cripple us instead of looking at death and say, you know what? I say it with a degree of reverence, but also God has put us in a position of, of victory to look at death and say, where's your sting? Where's your sting? Look at the foot, look at the heel of the, of the seed of the woman, right? <laughs> that, that, uh, that, that heel of the seed of the woman didn't just crush Satan's head, it crushed death's head. Do you recognize the heel of my Savior <laughs> that crushed you? And because of that, we can look, we can look at death and say, oh, death, where is thy sting? A grave, where is thy victory? Because of the victory we have been given in Jesus Christ and the hope of the resurrection that delivers us from the bondage and the fear of death. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.